All right. So Ian, your assignment for this week was to check out on Netflix, a show that <laughs> I got a couple of observations about this release date, by the way. So this was called the, now I got to look it up in our, in our chat to get the exact specific name. The movie was called The Greatest Night in Pop. So this is about the recording of We Are the World. And uh, as preamble to this, I would say, if you don't care about this whole song, I never thought this was a very good song, by the way, but I wanted to, we have a failed episode that Ian and I tried to um, record and it was just too many technical problems with it. But we, I was trying to have a conversation about the music of 1984. We literally recorded this like two weeks ago. And then of course this movie comes out days later, which I was totally unaware of. And I'll tell you why that happens just totally serendipitously. This song, this uh, movie comes out and it's really, it takes place in 1985 in on uh, January 26th or 28th of 19 of uh, 1985, not 1984, 1985. But really all the artists I was talking about in 1984 are basically uh, on this track because this takes place with you know coming off of the american music awards of 1984 these are all the people that basically were on the charts in that period of time and it's incredible that they got all these people together but here's what's so funny about this thing popping up on netflix so this movie these are the two strange <laughs> things about this date this movie played at sundance this year's sundance it played like on the 26th or something netflix bought it and then they put it on Netflix like two days later. So I usually complain about this. There's movies that come out at Sundance and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see that. And then Netflix will buy it and then dump it in like December or something. And I'm like, I've been waiting 11 months for that movie to come out. And then Netflix just dumps it. Netflix bought this thing and days later put it on their service. That's the first crazy thing about it. So it was just a total coincidence, by the way. It wasn't planned that we had our conversation about 84 and then this documentary pops up two days later. But here's the other weird thing about it, that I can't believe that Netflix dropped this thing immediately. This is the 39th anniversary to the day <laughs> that they recorded, the 39th anniversary. So they didn't wait like one more year for the 40th anniversary. They drop it on the 39th anniversary, but it's not like they just casually drop it on the 39th. They specifically drop it on the day they recorded it, but not 40 years ago, 39 years ago. It's a completely arbitrary choices they made in releasing this thing. It's just bizarre. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah, I've wasn't aware that it had such a quick turnaround. It's um, incredible. Yeah, that, they yeah. played it like dance on like Friday. It was on Netflix on Monday. <laughs> yeah, crazy. that's that's got to be totally unprecedented. Yeah, I, I think say. so. Yeah, and it is. It, it was a really interesting uh, coincidence that basically the 1984 conversation. This was this whole thing. Couple like crazy coincidences, just with coincidences, just within them being able to put this song together and really the linchpin is the fact that lionel richie mm -hmm. was kind of tasked with spearheading this thing and was also hosting the american music awards <laughs> that same evening that they're I, later going to record which is I, just i had totally forgotten this yeah, I had absolutely forgotten this whole thing that lionel richie was hosting the american music award this guy I mean, talk about the, like the hardest working man in Hollywood at that point. I mean, like, holy cow, like this is incredible, you know, that what, what he did there. And so as a little context setting there before, I, I have a couple of questions for you first, but before we get into the actual breakdown of the film. But what I would say is, even if you're not interested in the song itself, I would say this is still really interesting. Just it's someone described this as a heist movie. And I thought that really is what is, I love heist movies. And this really is like a heist movie. It's like a bunch of people saying like, we're going to do this thing. And then halfway through, it's like, this is going to be impossible. How are they going to pull off this heist? And then somehow it's like the ball starts rolling and you're like, well, it still looks like it's not going to happen. And then they kind of pull it off in the end. Right. And it, it really felt like that. It was very fun to just see them uh, accomplish this. Also very interesting, I think, once again, even if you don't care about the song at all, seeing all this great talent all in one room at the same time. So I just want to say in general, before we get into any details, I would recommend people check this out, even if you're not really that attached to the song. But I have two questions for you, Ian, because you're much younger than I am. So like I lived through this period of time. I didn't remember this very well. You know, I, I knew the song, obviously, but I didn't know all the kind of you know, the mythology of the writing of the song and all that. I really didn't know many of these facts until today. But for you, you were very young when this came out. Did this register for you at all? Do you have any relationship to the song? No, I mean, I would say I was only 
because they ended up, you know, after they get everyone together to record this in late January, you know, once they get everything set, then it's going to go through a couple months of, you know, production and, you know, putting it together, the final product. And they, I don't believe they released the actual single of it until much later in the year, like August or September. I, I don't recall at this point, but it was months after they actually recorded it. And that I still was just about turning two, maybe when it got released. It's so um, figured. Yeah. So I don't have any relationship to it contemporaneously, although I do remember the song still being played in rotation on MTV, you know, at, you know, 1988 in the early 90s. You'd still right. see it every once in a while. And yeah, I was never a fan of the song. You know, I think even. Bruce Springsteen at one point commenting on like the lyrics is like, well, you know, it was a really broad song, which is kind of the understatement, one of the understatements of the movie (laughs) when you think about it. But yeah, you know, it's kind of, yeah, very simplistic, you know, it's, it's got a very simple direct message, which I guess I can appreciate since their real aim was to get it understood and played by people all across the globe, regardless of language barrier for all intents and purposes. So you're going to keep it simple in that regard. But yeah, you know, I'd see the, I remember, you know, did see the video and it's just like, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of people there. A lot of famous people there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's about the extent of it. Not a fan really musically. Although I got to say by the end of watching this, I did, it did kind of grow on me a little bit. (laughs) Seeing how they kind of struggled to get things put together and like, so you see the effort into it and it does add a little bit to, to the listening experience from my point of view, just after seeing that a little more respect to it. Yeah, absolutely. I I've had the exact same experience where, you know, when I grew up, I was like a preteen when this movie came out, a movie, I'm sorry, this song came out. And it was basically a, a joke, you know, even at the time where, you know, we would just laugh at how silly it was. But I mean, like, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, I'm of that generation where it's ironic and not ironic at the same time. So we could appreciate what it was and laugh at it at the same time. I mean, we did the same thing with Thriller, honestly, because like, you know, we loved watching the video, but then we laughed at how ridiculous some aspects of it are, right? It was just that, you know, it's kind of the culture of the time and continues to be the case. But the uh, I had the same experience you had where I didn't really have much appreciation for it uh, in the time, but seeing them pull it off and even like really simple things like Springsteen saying like, yeah, it's a really simple song because, and we got it on cassette and it's just great to see that fact that like, you don't even think about the logistics of this. They got to like put this onto physical cassettes and send it out to all these different artists and Snail mail. keep the whole thing secrets, right? Like it's, it's crazy when you think about it. And, but of course the song, the song had to be really simple. If this is going to be like, you know, some kind of like experimental harmonics or something like no one's going to be able to, everyone's going to be like, I can't learn this song in three days. Forget it. Right. If you just make it incredibly simple with just, you know, a very broad lyrical content, then, you know, everybody can jump behind it in general, which is kind of the magic of that song. Like, you know, once again, I have more of appreciation for something that, you know, part of making that work is having a song that's that simple to follow. Mm. And I liked having Lionel Richie talk about him and Michael Jackson in that room, like coming up, literally like looking at different kinds of like anthems and uh, marches and stuff like that and going with like, what is, what are we going with? And then, you know, trying different like generic styles of music and being like, okay, that's, that's what we're going with. And then kind of just building a song around that. Yeah. I think like Lionel Richie being like throwing some shade at Michael Jackson's weirdness too. Yeah, yeah, uh, with all the animals kind of breaking into the proceedings. Uh, yeah, you know, a 30-foot like boa constrictor coming out from behind like a bookcase or something just to yeah. hear and hear Lionel Richie sing according to Michael Jackson's uh, logic at the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean the logistics are were one thing too and the way they set it up going back to what you said about it being kind of akin to like a heist movie. I do like the the choice of how they started i think this basically was on a countdown so it would go you know nine days till recording eight days till recording and each kind of thing progresses and yeah them putting together the song because they have already enlisted you know quincy jones as the producer who's you know the number one producer in basically all music at this point and have him on board and then have no material for him <laughs> right and having that little crunch and i also liked at one point right in the beginning initially I, lionel richie 
really has the first person he called and with help to write the song was Stevie Wonder. Right. Who uh, apparently just didn't get back to him for like yeah. four or five days and the ship had already kind of sailed on that. I love um, when he shows up at the recording studio and like, oh, are we going to are we going to write the song today? And it's like, no, we're going to record the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very late to the party. <laughs> and yeah, it was. And like you said, yeah, mailing physical tapes to people, just figuring out where they're going to actually record what studio in Los Angeles. How they're going to get them together, right? That the, the cool that serendipity once again of the American Music Awards having all these people in one place at one time. Yeah, and then. You know the 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 real fears that the location may possibly be leaked. Yeah, uh, was a thing because of course you have all these you know mega stars convening on one place. As one of the organizers pointed out, you know if they roll up and they see a you know a mob of people and a bunch of photographers and stuff, they're probably just going to keep rolling rolling by, and the whole thing's kind of blown up at that point. So it was interesting how they're saying oh have we identified you know potential source if anyone could leak this and stuff like that and you know on the one hand things like that are i guess so much easier to have details leak today with the technology we have whereas before you know you have you'd have to have you're physically like leaking something to like a reporter like making a phone call and stuff like this which would be way way more difficult i think to pull off than to just you know surreptitiously snap a photograph the location on your smartphone and then put post it on you know a reddit board or something like that exactly like you think about the fact that like now one person like a caterer would show up with sandwiches and see these people there and then they would post something and then just a handful of people would show up and then they start snapping photos and then before you know it thousands of people would be standing outside i mean we just had that experience this past summer down where uh, kim my wife some beach houses or the family beach house they that is where um taylor swift got married i'm sorry taylor swift, taylor swift's producer got married to a uh, margaret qualley like antonoff jack antonoff oh, yeah, yeah so she's just walking down the street you know in front of this restaurant actually where kim used to cater like years ago when she was a teenager and same place but anyway that's where they're having their reception and uh, she's wandering around the street and then like a photo pops up and then they go inside and then Lana Del Rey shows up, yada, yada, yada. And then you see pictures from the, the day and there's, you know, people snapping pictures of her. The streets are empty. She's wandering around. Then they go inside, they have the rehearsal dinner. And then of course you see the night when they all walk out and there are thousands of people like mobbing the entire street. And to your point, like that's exactly what would have happened back in that day where it's like, or, you know, in today's time where, you know, one person would be there and then 10 people and then a hundred and then a thousand. Right. And, uh, but there, you know, they were able to keep it all under wraps. It is funny to hear the people who are like setting up the speakers who had no idea they were setting up the studio. They didn't know who was going to show up. And all of a sudden like Michael Jackson's there first. So he's like doing his rehearsal and everybody's like, that's Michael Jackson. It's Michael Jackson. He's like setting up microphones and they're like, what the hell's going on? But even those guys seem to have kept it quiet. Cause I'm sure there would be a crowd of people within an hour at that point with, if he was there. Oh, yeah. You know, it just goes to show it's way more difficult to organize a flash mob when you just got landlines. <laughs> exactly. You yeah, know, people have to be near the phones and not only, you, know, you only have yeah. the landline. You got to get to your phone. <laughs> they have to happen to be near the phone. Like, you know, you can't you send a fax, maybe. Maybe a fax will get there sooner, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> the technology but, uh, was limited back then, much slower. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, that's interesting. That also plays in just to the whole recording process and yeah. how, you know, you can't punch stuff in and just. Yeah. Yeah, digitally edit oh, you, oh get that rid of that cindy lopper's necklace is jangling yes. too much can we put yeah. a filter mm-hmm. on that or something yeah. and yeah. it's like no they're actually using real to real tape and even like rewinding it to get another yes. take is five minutes away. yeah five minutes to rewind Th- think about how many takes they, they're taking of you know once again not a song i like <laughs> i just want to be clear about this even if you don't appreciate this song you you will appreciate just the incredible effort that was here and i have to be like kudos I, and i want to kind of talk about individual people because i love the little arcs everybody goes through in this sh- movie once again what i like about documentaries when the documentary is not specifically about the thing it's recording but about these other things and like quincy jones man holy cow like keeping all of those egos under control putting those people grouping them planning that whole day out keeping them on point when they're there for hours and hours and hours just something as simple as like getting everybody to focus again to do another take when they have just you know 
come from the American Music Awards. They're all sweating. They're all exhausted inside this thing. It's an all-nighter. It's like three, four o'clock in the morning. And he's like keeping them on task, keeping them focused while they sit there for five minutes to physically rewind the recording. Like if you did that in the classroom, like the classic room would be like, even if you, you know, like it's like when someone starts laughing during a presentation in a class and that's it, you've lost the class, right? It's like, this guy has got to do this for like an 18 hour stretch with some of the biggest stars in the world that he did it. It's incredible. It's like really impressive. Yeah. The amount of respect that, you know, he garnered and just, yeah, the planning that went into it, I thought it was really a real savvy move to bring out Bob Geldof right at the beginning yes. when you know, gathered yes. everyone there mm-hmm. to really just kind of put the gravity to yep. the situation that they're trying to address with this song. And, you know, Geldof made a real great speech and you could see it like kind of start to register on everybody's faces and they kind of really did get it down to business. And then, yep. you know, of course, since it does drag out and they, for so long, you know, there's going to be moments where there's wavering concentration and stuff like that. But yeah, Quincy was just right on top of it, you know, making sure that they had food catered at the right time, you know, getting people, you know, to stop was one thing that was really interesting. One of the first go arounds on like the harmony that they're trying to do was that people were keeping time with their feet. So there was a lot Good of point. stamping, mm-hmm. a lot of yep. stamping going on and mm-hmm. was just bleeding into the mix because, you know, they have like 35 microphones set up. And to tell people to, you know, groove with their knees and not their feet, I think it was uh, yeah. his advice there. And then, of course, Lionel Richie was the other kind of on the field captain, yeah. MVP, making sure going from little click to little click and making sure everyone's still engaged yep. and stuff like that. And I mean, it was no lie when he said that, you know, he was right in the beginning of the film. He said he's a night person. So everything that he does basically happens after one o'clock in the morning. So he's running in the night, man, running in the night. (laughs) Yeah. And in that regard, I mean, you think his AMA hosting was like him really busting his ass, getting up early to do that, you know, three hour production or however long that that show is. So, yeah, it was really interesting to see the process. You know, like you, I'm not a fan really of the product, but seeing all the effort that went into it, it, I did gain an appreciation for it after seeing what actually went into it because you just don't think of anything like that with the way things are recorded these days you could have this where none of these people are in los angeles at all and still Mm -hmm. pull it off right exactly and it was really cool like the imagine video during the pandemic (laughs) yeah (laughs) bad example i'm joking (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah the other cool part was that you know a vast majority of these people were at the american music awards Mm -hmm. But then there were some real notables that showed yeah, out, exactly. you know, Dion Warwick was in Las Vegas and just flew yep. right over and even probably more notable just for like the sheer slog that he'd already been through wrapping up the uh, Born in the USA tour was Bruce, Bruce Springsteen flying from Buffalo. Yep. Not the greatest place to fly out of in like January. So they were worried about the weather and things like that. And, you know, he made it. So real kudos to him for just be wanting to be a part of that too. He could have easily begged yep. off. I mean, he had every excuse yep. not to be involved. So I, I just seeing the physical toll of this thing, I had so much appreciation for him, but Springsteen fan in general anyway, but the really impressed with this, the fact that he's like just finishing his tour, his last date on his tour flies in from Buffalo after playing for how many, what nights has he played his throat, his, his voice is completely shot and then he has a solo, obviously, people who've heard the song, you hear his solo in there. And it's pretty amazing to hear him like, and once again, of course, he he's like famous for his touring, so he can like pull it together. But I like when he's practicing his solo and his voice is barely existing. And then he's just like, okay, now let's do the real take. And then he just brings it all of a sudden. And it's just like, I was so impressed. I'm just like, it's like 3.30 in the morning. This guy literally has been up for like 44 hours. You know, yeah. he just toured for, he just had a three hour concert and now showed up for this thing. And now he's got to put it together for like one more vocal solo. And he does it. Like he literally goes from having zero voice to being in full voice in like two minutes. I was like really impressed. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. 
the my favorite part of that song has always been Cindy Lauper jumping in there at that you know it's incredible her her vocal moment there it's still like the highlight of that whole song is really still the most impressive thing it was a little dampened by seeing this that she's like you know it really feels so spontaneous and i'm sure it was spontaneous the first time she did it but that's like her 15th take <laughs> so but it's uh, by the time it comes to that but i mean still an incredible vocal on her yeah part. and it was really interesting too because she had cold feet like before yeah. mm-hmm. the AMAs were even over. She I thought guess it was going to be cheesy. <laughs> she wasn't yeah, wrong. <laughs> she wasn't wrong. I guess, you know, but I guess Lionel, you know, again, coming in through the, coming in the, in the clutch, you know, said, you know, you kind of committed to doing this. You, you can do the right thing. You know, you know, I trust you to do what you think. Plus is right. she was just getting famous and she was going to hang out with all these famous people. She probably felt like there wasn't, I mean, I think she was star struck when she walked in there, but I think a lot of these people are like, are these people really going to show up? You know what I mean? Like this, you know, like, are yeah. they just trying to trick me into showing up? You know what I mean? One of those things, which happens oftentimes, you know? So this was like, you know, she must have, it's like the fire festival, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it turned out to be for real. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the unfortunate thing, Sheila E was kind of put in that Oh position. yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. We got to talk about that. You know, that was, and especially like, I was like. I've seen this and I was like, I get, yeah, she, I recall her being in the video, but not really. And then I was like, and then she was such a kind of a larger part in the the yeah. beginning of this, put getting it put together and really being one of the more up and coming folks that were invited. I think even maybe a little less so than Cindy Lauper at the time. Yeah. Cause she had, she he had just released her de- debut album that previous year. And Cindy Lauper had already had a few hits under her belt. And it was really to hear her how excited and starstruck she was and, you know, Sheila E. And then kind of the realization that she yeah. was essentially used as kind of prince bait. Yes. Was kind of a, a real bummer to see. One, you know, I don't know whose idea ultimately that that may have been. I think. It wasn't completely a disrespectful move, but you can, the ulterior motive was pretty clear, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you got to think though, it's Prince. Like, did you really think he was going to show up to do something like this when he's not the center of the room? When, you know, he's just going to sing in a chorus? Like, I don't know whoever thought that would have flown. Even just knowing, not not personally knowing him or anything, just knowing his life and the attitude that he seemed to always have, it seemed like a bad fit from the beginning to even like hope that Prince would would make an appearance here. Even especially given his his rivalry with Michael Jackson. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, so three things related to, or maybe more. There's a, so many Prince things to mention here, and there's other things I want to touch on also. But the Prince digression, first of all. The Sheila E thing, very sad to her realization of that. And she leaves before, you know, later in the night because she kind of, after they keep pressuring her, but she is still in the video and she still sings in as part of the chorus. So, you know, that's still for her, that's a pretty big deal considering she you know, had a brief, although very solid batch of hits early in her career and a, an incredible drummer, right? She's still Prince's, you know, band drummer. I saw them, I saw Prince perform on his musicology tour in 2002, 2003, and she was drumming for him. So she still had a long touring career for sure and great musician. So good for her. You know, she made it onto the platform at least. But Prince but second thing about Prince was the a guitar solo. He wanted to have a solo guitar solo. Would the song be better with a Prince guitar solo? I mean, I'm of the opinion, by the way, that song feels like it probably wouldn't fit in, but I'm of the opinion that just about any song is approved by a Prince guitar solo. So I don't know. I think he could have made it work. I mean, Quincy Jones could have figured out a way to put a guitar. I mean, Running With The Night, speaking of Lionel Richie, has a pretty cool guitar solo there in the middle. You could drop that in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. It would have been interesting for sure. I don't... Yeah, it's it's a great what if. (laughs) If he uh, like, I just like that he even came back to them with that, yeah. where it's kind of like, I'm not going to do this. Like, okay, well, I'll do it if you put me in another room and I just do a rip a guitar solo. Yeah. And then, he's- like, again, like a classic kind of Prince sort of like mind game where it's a conditional answer that, you know, the conditions are already off the table when you say it. So exactly. they yeah. could have just said no. 
you know. Right, right. <laughs> but I, you know what? I he he is someone who actually is a shy person. But I do have a, another thing I want to bring up specifically about this. He's also kind of a ball buster. So the shyness aspect of it, maybe he didn't want to be in that room legitimately and maybe did want to do a guitar solo. So maybe I buy in that that is something that they could have taken him up on. Maybe a ballad isn't really a place for guitar solo, but hey, you know, Purple Rain's got a great guitar solo. So hey, you know, it, could, yeah. it could work. It could work. And by the way, he's a great improviser, right? So I could imagine him listening to the music legitimately and finding a solo in there. Anyway. I'm saying it might have worked if they wanted to do it. <laughs> the next point I wanted to make is I did not watch this American Music Awards. I was, I mean, I was aware of this song, but I wasn't watching this. Uh, I was too young to probably be paying attention to this when it was on the air. I totally was not aware of the whole like Prince being there with that giant bodyguard. It's so funny because Prince is like five feet tall. This guy's like six foot eight and he's like obese, you know, or not obese. Let's not body shame. He's just you know, a big guy, very big guy in every possible way. And it's hilarious to see him bodyguarding him. And people were even making fun of the, the fact that every time he won an award, that the guy like ran up on stage with him and uh, they were busting his chops like, oh, like someone's going to attack him on the stage or something, right? I'm like, once again, I think that it's underappreciated that a lot of the weirdness of Prince is his sense of humor. I think this was all like performance art on Prince's part. Like you don't have this guy like follow you on stage while you accept an award. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I mean, he's got like Paul Bunyan trailing after him. So, <laughs> exactly. it, it, yeah, I, I thought that was that, that was pretty funny. Yeah, the, the yeah the pursuit of Prince and it, that they even were like getting trying to get him on the phone like as late as like two in the morning was was pretty wild. Uh, well, that's when they were doing the solos, right? So they still had a chance, not the guitar solos, but the vocal solos. So they still had a chance to bring him in for a, a solo bit, a bit. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, ultimately it did only happen. Ultimately, exactly. it didn't happen, and, and you know, I, I agree that his shyness and then shyness plus like the ego, ego which seems yes. like a paradox. <laughs> sure. I think for yeah. him, it was like a no go, and you can kind of see that a little bit with like Dylan, yes, too. Oh, we got to talk about Dylan. I want to have a whole side conversation on Dylan, but absolutely, like Dylan's. I mean, for me, that's what I was going to leave it for the next like section of the conversation for the fact that for me, the most riveting aspect of this whole entire documentary was just watching dylan like you know they and once again i think they did a really good job of seeding it early on and then you see how he literally chokes when the, he has to do the, his solo and uh, i think they did a really good job of like setting that up so as soon as they kind of seeded that thought that he was really awkward and really struggling i just had to look at him every time he's on screen and he's on screen constantly in this documentary and you could just see how like people are singing people are laughing and he is just like the kid in school that doesn't know where his click is or something. And I felt kind of bad for him, right? But uh, but let's talk about him. Like I, I want to have a whole digression about him because I think that's that whole thing was really fascinating. I want to wrap up the whole like Prince digression with not necessarily digression, but a segue into the person who gets Prince solo. Another person I was really impressed with here was Huey Lewis. Not only that he picks up the solo, not only that he is one one of the better vocalists I think in that song. By the way. And that he just does it on the fly because he wasn't planning to. But there you go. They threw it at him and he did it. All of that was great. But it just reminded me that the charm of Huey Lewis always, even when they were huge stars, was that he was just kind of like, this is crazy, guys. We're famous. You know, and he's just having a blast that he just really enjoyed. And he, I think he's still like that to this day. Really charming, even in the documentary. Oh, yeah. I think he came off as like one of the most likable people. Yes, for absolutely. sure. And. Yeah, there didn't seem to be much artifice to him at all, which, again, is just the part of it where he's like, I'm as amazed by this whole situation as everyone, exactly. <laughs> everyone should be, but it's written all over my face and I'll, I'll, I'll be vocal about it. Yeah, he really did kill. He really did kill that solo and that whole because so it goes him, then Cindy Lauper, then Kim Carms to kind of end out that solo section. Yep. And. You know, that was really interesting. Even then, after he gets through his bit, then they want to ask him to do a harmony, right. you know, on that kind of last line. And you have Steve Perry from Germany, yes. uh, from Journey, excuse me, trying to, you know, get them to chart out the harmony. And Huey's like already kind of like, I've, I'm already, it's out of my range, you know, all this stuff. They pull it off. But yeah, Huey came in and in, in, came in. Jeez, 
came in on in through the clutch. I keep messing up that phrase. We can excise that in the clutch. The in the clutch. In the clutch. In the clutch. He came through. <laughs> so yeah, he was definitely one of the more personable people that they that they interviewed, I guess, for the thing. And it seems like he like you said, he's he's basically seems unchanged as far as his attitude yeah. about stuff and you know how he had such an appreciation for being included in that. And you know, he's just like very humble and kind of blown away about they're asking me to sing yeah. Prince's spot. Like, mm -hmm. okay. But yeah, he killed it. We should have a Huey Lewis digression because I kind of told you the secret history of the Huey Lewis and the news band. We'll maybe leave that for another episode. There's so much packed into here already. But I think because fame came to them so late that they probably appreciated it much greatly you know, than someone who kind of has it all laid out. I was waiting for, like, I had read a headline about, like, the revealing the secret reason why Prince, which, of course, we went into a detail, but also Madonna was not part of this. And I love, like, I was I was waiting the documentary because it's like, I'm like, oh, is it going to be something juicy? Because they, they're, we're halfway into documentary. No one's even mentioned Madonna yet. And then they're like, oh, she was on tour. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> not, not, not very juicy fact that she was like on tour in another continent or something. That makes perfect sense. So. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I was, I, that briefly crossed my mind when, you know, they'd shown, they showed her on screen a couple of times and I had thought maybe there was some, you know, kind of simmering beef between her and Cindy Lauper or something like that. Um, yeah, but yeah. turns out that wasn't the case, at least yeah, not sure. for this. <laughs> I think that was more the media maybe popped that up more than because they kind of worked in some of the same circles when they were both kind of like before Cindy Lauper became Cindy Lauper. She was in that Blue Angel band, which was kind of big in in New York City. So it's like they probably were in the same circles when she was on the Breakfast Club. Was that the name of the band she was in before? But yeah, I believe band. so. Yeah. So it's like they probably ran in the same circles. I don't think there was much competition there. Okay, we'll leave Dylan's conversation for the end. But before then, one more question I had for you is. I've been doing my Spotify research for this series of podcasts. I'm always very curious, like what's holding up, what's not holding up. Very interesting to me, by the way, because of this podcast, I'm sorry, not this podcast, not because of this podcast, definitely not, but because of this series on uh, Netflix or this movie, I should say, the uh, number of streams, daily streams for We Are the World has shot up, obviously not surprisingly at all, but it has about 130 million streams, not a huge amount of streams for a song that was this famous at the time full of you know i'm sure it's on playlists for michael jackson for lionel richie for bruce Springs. it's probably on like hundreds of plays on that on spotify so not a lot compared to and here's the bob geldof connection because of course the inspiration for this whole thing was we are i mean do they know it's christmas do we do you know it's christmas has around five or six hundred million streams and that's just for the original version because it's been being re-recorded multiple times since. And this also leads to speaking of this whole moment in time when there were a lot of these type of projects. There's a lot of, you know, there's a, I Ain't Gonna Play Sun City, which was actually really, actually a pretty good song, actually, and dealing with uh, the whole South African apartheid situation and, and also shaming artists into not playing Sun City because that was a very way to make a lot of money when you were famous back then. And a lot of these artists, same artists who were in this documentary, canceled their shows around that time. But of course, in 1986, is it, or end of 85, we have Live Aid, which we definitely have to talk about Live Aid at some point in the future, because that's also like this really amazing moment for Queen to become like the forever catalog band they are now, U2 emerging into megastars during that period of time. So definitely a conversation to have and this moment in time. But do you have any speculation? First of all, do you like, I personally think that, do they know it's Christmas, as cheesy as that song is? is much better song than We Are the World. And I think that's part of the reason it holds up now. And of course, it's a Christmas song. Christmas songs always get tons of spins at Christmas time. But do you have any relationship to that song? And what are your opinions there? I would agree that it is a better song. And the Christmas connection, I think, does play to its popularity. I'm not super into it, regardless. <laughs> but I also think something, I think there's... I don't know if the, there's able you're able to break down Spotify stats by like region, but I think yeah. that's such a UK yes thing. I think I would be shocked if most of that traffic isn't from the British Isles. You're probably right about that. I can't break it down. There's probably a way to do it, but I can't actually break down by those geographies. But I think that that definitely is the case. I would agree. And I'm just going by the fact that at Christmas time, 
when you see the U.S. charts, and for example, Brenda Lee's Rocking Around the Christmas Tree went to number one this year. It's the very first time that song, like 60-year-old song, went to number one. Mariah Carey's song, of course, has gone back to number one multiple times previously. And I mean, Last Christmas by Wham, I think, made it to number two or number three this year. That's probably the next one that's going to be like a number one hit around Christmas time. And a great song, by the way. That's like one of those staples for Christmas, for sure. And that song has you know been building year over year over year. And there's a bunch of other songs that... But do they know it's Christmas time in the US, to your point... I think it, ne- I mean, it definitely makes the top 40, but I don't even know if it makes the top 20 at Christmas time. So a lot of those spins are probably coming from overseas. I think you have, I think you make a good point there. That song I'm nostalgic for, for some reason, that song makes me nostalgic in a way that the You Are the World, I mean, We Are the World, <laughs> that never really worked for me for whatever reasons. But, but I do want to call that song out because they barely touch on it here they only show like a split second of the video but do check out on youtube there are multiple documentaries about the making of that and i did watch one that was about 25 minutes long that was pretty interesting and it really just shows the same similarly just getting all these people in a room recording together it's really like an artless documentary it's just like the cameras there people are showing up they're calling other people other people are showing up limousines are showing up other people are showing up but it is an important moment in time because really everybody famous who's not in this video (laughs) is in that video because you know you had the whole entire new wave at that time so everybody should track that one down as well last thing i want to talk about and maybe the thing i want to talk about the most because to me it was like kind of emotionally moving to see bob dylan this you know legend who had had like a rough stretch in his career, probably like five or six years where he was really not commercially doing well, not critically getting respect anymore. People kind of thought he was a little bit of a buffoon. And then he goes and like kind of hits uh, like another career peak in that mid to late 80s. I mean, this is an even, this is kind of a comeback year for him, but this is just the tip of the, the, tip of the iceberg. He's got like multiple albums that are going to win like album of the year coming in the not too distant future, right at this moment in time. But regardless of that, he walks in there. People are like, oh, I can't wait to meet Dylan. I can't wait to meet Dylan. And he seems like awkward. And at first I thought, is that his ego or something? But then he feels, seems at times like utterly petrified. Like he's actually scared about being there. And any kind of question that he might be emotionally overwhelmed or some, something comes when he gets the first solo in that two o'clock in the morning phase. And he literally can't even he doesn't even know how to start doing that and it was so painful to watch and then stevie wonder saves the day but yeah tell me about that whole experience of watching that yeah you're right the moment of foreshadowing when they first kind of had everyone everyone there and did like you know the rough run through of like the chorus and stuff like that i forget who mentioned it in the doc but you know clearly everyone knows bob dylan has an extremely distinctive vocal style (laughs) yes but a singer is not how I'd really term the guy as far as that goes. And then he's in a room where everyone basically else is like great singer in some form or fashion, you know, whether you're just got this great growl in your range, like Springsteen or Huey Lewis, or you can fly up and down octaves like Cindy Lauper and Diana Ross, or, you know, hit all the phrasing like Dionne Warwick and mm-hmm. you know you got Stevie Wonder you know Steve Perry can sing the lights out and I yeah, love Bruce Dylan. Springsteen by the way like calling out like when Perry sings and he's just like wow what a voice and he's just like <laughs> yeah. to call that out because I mean I'm not a big Journey fan but that really like wow what a voice that guy could just turn it on with like like nothing yeah and then you do have Dylan from that point out you're kind of like you said, I was keeping an eye on him and he just does seem completely deer in the headlights, mm-hmm, yep. um, kind of in over his head. And yeah, when he starts to do his solo, he's barely mumbling. Like he's yeah. not even really making enough sound to record. <laughs> it's so, so painful. <laughs> really weird. It's like he forgot where he was yes. or mm-hmm. just like something didn't was not clicking. And this is one of a couple times I think Stevie Wonder kind of stepped in and saved the day, but what was great about that is that Dylan had so much respect for Stevie that he mm-hmm. kind of instinctually yeah. gravitated and asked him to play the song on on piano to help him kind of get his bearings. Yeah. And then, you know, Stevie sings his solo in the style of <laughs> Bob Dylan. He does a Dylan impression. It's incredible. incredible. Which, is, which is great. And, you know, you can, and from then, like, you could literally see a change in like bob's posture and yes. like every he just yep. seemed like yep. oh he's like all right they got my back like you know 
I can do this. And then he goes and does his Dylan thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you just looked at that first minute to 30 seconds of him trying to even piece together mm -hmm. yeah. what he was going to do compared to what they actually got him to record, it's literally night and day. And yeah, it's just really strange. I mean, there's a lot of, he's got so much mystique about him and, yeah. you know, being known as kind of an oddball or a little bit of a recluse at times. And you're right at this point, you know, he's kind of coming off a few lost years mm -hmm. in the early eighties where he went through this kind of strange born again phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he was at a crossroads artistically, commercially, and spiritually, even you could argue. And this is kind of him coming out of it. And, you know, I don't know how much this experience shaped anything of him going forward. It may have been a little jolt of confidence to to get Stevie Wonder to sing in your voice. And then maybe that was a little bit of wind under his wings going forward for some of the other stuff he did. But <laughs> he probably that, possibly. Yeah. In that moment, it really was that was one of the more endearing things to see. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the cool part about Stevie Wonder's kind of like almost like omnipresent in this whole thing mm -hmm. you know they're trying to get a hold of them they can't they're thinking about what well what did you know what would stevie do is kind of like some of the thought process behind some of these decisions i yeah. think that lionel richie made and then you know he's able to you know banter with quincy jones when quincy's yeah. getting a little hot under the collar he's like one of the main people keeping everyone loose and it was funny though, just to keep going on with Stevie Wonder a little bit. When he did attempt to introduce the Swahili, Swahili, uh, what is he thinking? Bridge and you know Waylon Jennings just gives up completely. Which, leaves, <laughs> you know, not terribly surprising, I guess, at that point. Um, oh my god! And then Michael Jackson tries to like placate him by making up his own words, and like that's yeah. that's the moment in like the, the heist movie analogy. That's the moment in the in the plot where you're like, oh no, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> they're all, I forget they're all... who I forget who pointed it out. It might have been Paul Simon, where he's like, "They don't speak Swahili in, in Ethiopia," <laughs> and, and then he goes, "Well, I have an Aramaic, <laughs> Aramaic translation as well." And just people are like, "What is going on here?" Paul, um, I got to call out Paul Simon real quickly for being such a ball buster. Not only Lionel Richie being a ball buster, but I liked uh, Paul Simon at one point saying that if if a bomb went off in there, that uh, John Denver would be back on top again. Yeah. <laughs> That was great. That was one of the funnier, funnier little moments right in the beginning when they're all getting together there. But yeah, that, that, yeah, Stevie Wonder just seems like such an infectious personality, you know, and like just brighten the whole room for everybody. So it was great. He was able to do that for, uh, for Dylan and help him get through that solo because it was very painful leading up to that. There might have been some kind of spiritual transference there where Dylan is getting to his, you know, gets his mojo back. From this interaction with Stevie Wonder. Meanwhile, Stevie Wonder, of course, has one of the biggest hits of the year this year with I Just Called to Say I Love You, which is absolutely garbage. I hate to say it, but it is, you know, one of his biggest hits. But then that's pretty much <laughs> that song is the nail in the coffin of Billy of his uh popular career because he does not have another top 40 hit hit, I think. Probably I mean, I think he has a couple more right immediate after this one, but I think it's pretty much it. The, the well gets very dry after that. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of spooky. Maybe there was some kind of supernatural thing. Transference going on, going on there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bob Dylan, this is how Bob Dylan's career keeps rejuvenating. He sucks the, the tail yeah. out of other people. <laughs> He's a vampire. <laughs> Watch oh, out, Taylor Swift. Don't tour with uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no more Grammys for you. <laughs> and I would say, I would say, you know, a couple like other little things on my on my notes here the other person that came off really cool to me and super down to earth was kenny rogers oh yeah mm -hmm. he, he just seemed like very he's like a little older than huey lewis yeah. but seemed cut in the same mold where he's just like rolling with it and that was really cool just seeing him throughout and he's just like all right this is you know let's do it you know i think he was i mean once again i'm like reading into these people's psychology which is really what i liked about this thing especially the i loved seeing the whole villain thing where he is so uh, awkward it's just like back in high school again even though this guy has this incredible legacy i think 
alternately you have kenny rogers who you know he starts off in like the fifth dimension he's doing like psychedelic pop in like the late 60s early 70s whatever that was and then of course he becomes a huge country star you know the gambler and everything else and now all of a sudden he's a pop star because of like he has islands in the stream and everything just this very year i think that's what he's coming that's what he's a tale of so he's like all of a sudden the pop star and he's probably just like this is great <laughs> like this is just yeah. great <laughs> oh yeah he's very at ease and just like ha- really really happy to be there kind of vibe uh, which i thought was cool and then like throughout the the doc i kept i was like who the heck is this guy is that and i have who was the dan Aykroyd guy Oh Turns out it, was, it, it is Dan Aykroyd. What is he Dan doing Aykroyd. there? What is he doing there? I guess the Blues Brothers connection Blues or Brothers, something. Yeah. I mean, but literally, I have no. I, I was just that was baffling to me, but it's also kind of funny. Where it's like, yeah, you have Michael Jackson, you have Smokey Robinson, you have Bob mm-hmm. Dylan, you have Huey Lewis. There's Dan Aykroyd. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Ghostbusters came out that year too, but I mean, like that's it's like he just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't kick him out because he's very famous. I mean, Ghostbusters. I mean, if if Bill Murray had showed up, you're not going to kick him out either, you know. But uh, Dan Aykroyd is like not quite Bill Murray, even at the time. I think he was always kind of like not quite. But I mean, hey, the Blues Brothers connection is huge, right? So yeah, so he's got chops, you know. What I mean, yeah. So he could trade on to that. But I was I was like doing Imagine a, he had a solo in this song. That'd have been hilarious if he somehow <laughs> gotten his solo as well. I think a few more people than Prince would have had to drop out for that to have happened imagine there's only five people that's the documentary i want to see the alternate history where only like five people show up and like none of them are really that famous <laughs> uh there's another just a little another miscellaneous part I think more closer to the beginning they're running through some of the lyrics and smoky robinson just is like why are you saying that it doesn't make any sense i forget the exact lyric right. it was what we're giving he's like but we're not he's like what you know, he like, yeah, he's like, there's nothing like the, and he's like, just calls out Michael Jackson. He's like, well, I've known him since he was about 10 years old, so <laughs> right. I can talk to him like that, you know? Any other, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all the things I was thinking about. Yeah. The Smokey Robinson, I, I very curious about how everybody's age. Smokey Robinson obviously has not aged that great, but I mean, how old is he at this point? He's got to be like really old, right? He's 90s, pushing 80, 80, 80, 80, he's only 80, 83 80. or something like that. Okay. But he could look better then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, well, he really, he recently came out with an album, I believe it was just last year, and it has a kind of unfortunate title. It's called Gasms. So I'll just leave that there. Apparently, it's not that bad, <laughs> but just extremely randy for a guy almost a century old. Just put it that way. And then I guess one other thing that was really, interesting to me when you're talking about like all these egos and you know all this stuff the one person who had one of the biggest reputations of being like a diva personality is diana ross Mm -hmm. and she seems one of the sweetest like most into it people in the whole like least drama and like just if you look at the roster of people you're like who's gonna maybe cause some issues here if they're not getting exactly what they want she would probably be at the top of a lot of people's list just on reputation fair or not but at the end when she's like everyone's kind of they're all they finally achieved it and everyone's kind of now it's 7 30 in the morning or something like that the next day and she's crying because she didn't want the experience to end, to end. Right? yeah and that was really sweet yeah that was very sweet i think i agree okay so our next topic i think is going to be unless you have a better idea but i think you're going to like this one so we have one love the bob marley movie is coming out next week i plan to watch it and review it here on the pod but you are probably the bob marley aficionado <laughs> within my circle of friends definitely and yes yeah, so i will probably watch the movie and come back to you with like kind of questions like did this really happen did this really happen and then kind of maybe talk about some of his hits and yeah i mean this is i'm gonna have to edit this down because i'm not i'm just working this out of my head right now like what the format might be like so maybe i'll have like discoveries i'm making in the movie maybe there's songs that i'm not familiar with beyond the uh, kind of like the the deeper cuts maybe i do hope the doc i do hope the movie uses deeper cuts i'd spend a big disappointment for me when i watch like for example the elvis movie which came out a couple of years ago I really did not like that movie. I thought Austin Butler, I thought, did a great job, terrific performance. The rest of the movie I thought was really boring, not interesting, 
told in the most generic way possible. And worst of all, I think the worst of all was that the music they used was like all like Spotify, top 10 Spotify tracks. Like not, nothing was a deep cut. Nothing was, you know, a, a discovery of the song or the way he wrote the song. None of that. Not so it was just a little very disappointing. So I'm hoping this will be better. I'm worried that it's going to be another generic docu pick, but we'll see. But anyway, maybe I'll come with you know questions for you about the biography based the way it's represented in the film, and also with some of my musical discoveries along the way. And if the music choices are really bad, maybe we'll just come back with our top ten favorite tracks or something like that, and just kind of yeah. walk through them. Something yeah, I've been I've been seeing the um, the trailers for that, and I'm actually kind of intrigued. Like, yeah. just because pretty much, yeah, Bob Marley is one of my favorite artists of all time. And these are always these, especially with music biopics, it seems like they're always tricky because there's something mm -hmm. about capturing a musical performance that's so unique to the the performer. It's really hard to re replicate it and get it right when you're, you know, using a different actor and, yep. you know, they could, you could look nearly like the, the person and it might not resonate because the body language is wrong or whatever, you know? So I'm actually kind of anticipating this one. So I, I plan on watching as well. So it'd be good to talk about that because I'm sure I'll have some issues with yeah, I, I actually, hey, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to watch it because I know you're not as much of a movie person, but I guess this one kind of would pique your interest for sure. But yeah, if you want to watch it, that'd be great because then we could just talk about the actual film itself and then talk about the music as part of it. You know, like we can kind of walk through how they use the music in the movie, whether they did a good job, because I'm always very curious about that. Like, you know, going back to our pre-recording conversation today about I really loved that opening track in the the Holdovers, the movie I was telling you about the Giamatti movie, because I was just like, what's this song? This song is so great. And I've never heard it before. I'm thinking it's an old 70s song. And then I'm like, oh, it's not. It's a contemporary song. It just sounds like that style. And then, of course, I watched the movie and I'm like, was this thing shot on cameras from 1970? Because it looks like it was. And I'm like, oh, just like that song. <laughs> so I kind of like how the music and the movie like are in conversation with each other. And uh, so I'm very curious to see. And honestly, once again, usually disappointed in these musical biopics. So I do hope this is a good one. I think the trailer is, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's great, but I think the trailer is uh, its moving. So I do hope that they somehow can pay that off in some way. So I am curious to see it. But yeah, yeah. check it out. And then we can talk about the movie and the music all together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are a couple, couple things, you know, like what time frame, because, you know, some of these are kind of a limited scope and you're not talking about, you know, birth to death. And it's right. just like focusing on this maybe few year period. So I'm going to be interested to see how they kind of handle that probably assuming they're they're going to fast forward a bit until it's the bob marley and the whale the the mm. whalers with the the i3s you know rita marley jody moat and i forget the third one's name <clears throat> as opposed to peter tosh and bunny whaler mm. that trio all right cool thanks right, for man. the conversation we'll uh, talk soon yeah and i i gotta say came through in the clutch came through in the <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take that and put it yeah. into the correct spot. In the, the, the human the human torch was denied a bank loan, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good talking to you, man. All right, talking to you. Peace. Bye.